What's up and welcome back to the Real Ballers Read podcast. We are so excited for today's episode because we're here today with a living legend, Glory Edom. Glory Edom is the founder of Well-Read Black Girl, a book club and digital platform that celebrates the uniqueness of Black literature and sisterhood. She edited the Well-Read Black Girl anthology, which was nominated for an NAACP Image Award and named a best book of the year by Library Journal. The winner of the Innovators Award from the Los Angeles Times Book Prizes, Edom worked as a cultural practitioner for over 10 years and serves on the board of Baldwin for the Arts and New York City's Housing Works Bookstore. Her forthcoming memoir, Gather Me, debuts in the fall of 2022. She resides in Washington, D.C. with her son, Zeke. Glory, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you here. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I am having a wonderful day and I'm excited to talk to you both. Right, and uh, we can get right into it. Miles, what's your first question for Glory? The reason why we we read and why it's so important for us as Black, Black folks to read is to like understand who we are. And I really wanted to ask, ask you, like, how has, through reading all of this work by Black women, by doing well-read Black girl, like shifted your conception of like who Black women are and how has that shift informed like your own self-image? Yeah, that is such a brilliant question because what I think mostly of is like there is this kind of dynamic stereotype that Black women are these all-encompassing superheroes and we can do anything, like we can bear through the pain and we can achieve things that are can seem impossible, which is, you know, to a certain degree, it's true. I feel like Black women do have strong resilience and they are very persistent and they're able to achieve their dreams. But sometimes that comes at a sacrifice of tenderness, of gentleness, of even self-compassion, you know? So by reading works by Black women from all over the diaspora, whether I'm reading a story from a Black woman in Jamaica or here in like rural Alabama or in a busy city like New York, like there are so many different depictions of Black womanhood and the beauty and nuance is really important for me to share with folks. For me, I am a young person that grew up in Arlington, Virginia. Yeah, I went to school in the city of Washington, D.C. I later moved to New York City. Both my parents are immigrants. Both my parents are Nigerian. I traveled to Nigeria throughout my childhood, but I was raised here in the United States. So it's just like alone, those different regions of my life have all influenced who I am and how I show up in the world. And it's so important to show that like we have totally we have so much within us that we can share, you know? And, and then we also have these like universal traits. Like uh, what I love about the book club or even gathering when we get to the festival, sometimes like, sometimes I'll see someone and we'll share an experience or like we'll be in a room and someone says a joke and we just all get it. And you know, like, you have that eye contact where you look at people like you get what I'm trying to say, you know, like, or when you, you know, I have two brothers, my, son already he's too he knows how to do the head nod he like he does his little nod to his uncle and they get it you know what I mean and it's just like all these things that we as black people in our cultural expression share with one another whether you're in Nigeria or you're in Brooklyn you know what I mean like there's these universal things that also bring us together in a wild way um I try to select books that show that vastness just show the the, the beauty of all the things that we do together, you know? Um, and I think literature for us, for Black folks is way, it's deeper than just a story. It is our, like, it's our tradition, it's our history, it's the way that we have been able to practice self-preservation. And it's, it's not just entertainment, you know? It really edifies us and allows us to feel encouraged and, to heal in a lot of ways. And I recognize that because that's happened in my life. Like the quotes that I have on my wall are so essential to my becoming. And um, and it's, you know, books in a lot of ways have saved my life and made me feel like I can do the things that maybe I didn't have a model for because I was able to read it in a book and I saw 
that someone else that looked like me, it gave them a blueprint. And when I'm writing my anthologies, and even as I write, I work on my memoir, I'm thinking about the like the reader experience and how what they can hopefully take away from it that can help them on their own journey. Um, so it's, it's it's been just a wild experience because I definitely did not major in this in college. You know what I mean? It wasn't something like I sat down and said, this is how my life is going to be. But I'm so grateful for it. And I'm glad God like just gave me um, empathy. I feel like that's probably like one of my superpowers. I do have a lot of empathy for other people because I do recognize what it means to go without, to feel lonely, to feel like, maybe this is not going to work. Maybe I, like, maybe I don't know my purpose, right? So when I see other people and they ask me a question or they're like, how do you do it? I'm like, let me tell you all the things that I did. I don't know if it's going to be your path, but hopefully it will encourage you and give you a sense of hope. And I think we all need that. Like books give us hope and other people's stories give us hope. Wow. That's so incredible. And, and Glory, like, this is such a funny coincidence too that you bring up the importance of geography and growing up in different regions. Because uh, when I was reading your book on 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 girlhood, when I was reading all of the stories, I was like, the invisible main character in through all of these stories is the importance of place and like where these people are 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 being raised. So I wanted you to speak more on like how growing up in DC and, you know, going to, Ni going to Nigeria, how all of these places that you've lived in and moved to in your own life have either accel accelerated or like slowed down your, your coming of, of age or even changed the direction of it. Uh, like a good exam example that I can think of is the short, 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 short story Girl by Jamaica Kincaid where like she doesn't specifically say a place but because of like the things that she's alluding to okra you know working in fields you you have a very specific sense of where she's talking about which changes the direction of like how she becomes uh, a, a black woman so I know this this is a very long-winded question but it was just a, a big thing that I was thinking, thinking about you don't understand this is a like this is a writer's dream for for someone to read like their work and notice the curation no notice the, like the thoughtfulness of how everything comes together in a seamless way because it does take a lot of effort and I, I did have that in mind i had the idea of place i had the idea of intergenerational conversations like what our elders say to us that inform how we grow up. And the story girl is a perfect representation of that because you have Jamaica Kincaid, this beautiful Caribbean woman who is writing about her mother being this formative you know, voice. And it's like a monologue of her mom telling her all these things of how you should be. And the girl is like absorbing it, but she's also trying to figure out her own agency, her own sense of identity. And also just trying to say that like, if I make a mistake, like the last sentence of that story, like what if I don't know how to, you know, to pick the fish and the mom's like, but I just taught you all these things. How would you not know how to do this? Are you not listening, you know? Maybe. And I, it's such a brilliant theme because the mother uh, mother daughter dynamic, mother child dynamic at that is such a crucial like first imprint of who you're gonna become. And with my own mother, I will say that she gave me a lot of opportunity to ask questions. And I'm a, I was a very precocious, very curious child. I would ask so many questions, probably to my mom's like, like pulling her hair out, like what is wrong with this girl? But she allowed it. And as I grew up, I realized like, I, ne I never felt like it was a wrong thing to be wrong. You know, I put air quotes around that, but cause I never thought that like, like if you, you know, some people, feel like they can't, they have to have a perfectionist, like they can't ask the wrong question. And I never felt like that. I just like, if I get something wrong, I can just try again or ask it again or try another way. And it, I didn't realize it as a child, but that her just even allowing me that space and freedom to ask as many questions as possible created such an openness. And in the story, I tried to even show those things that there's another story with Rita Dove where 
the young girl is like in the church and she's trying to understand spirituality, but at the same time, she's like, un- like coming to terms with romance and having crushes and like the nuance of just being, um, just like a little awkward in it, you know, where you're trying to figure, you're trying to coming of age and having these experiences that are still all brand new. And all these experiences happen in different spaces, but that you know, what you're picking up on is that universal feeling of like longing and desire and awkwardness. Like, isn't all of childhood, I feel like from 12 to like 18, it's just awkward, you know? And I was trying to like capture that feeling of like, I'm not sure or I'm uncertain of who I'm going to become, but I'm moving towards it. And even some of the stories are, um, they're not only about just like young girls, they're, they're like women at like at some point of change or a milestone, like one character in the Gwendolyn Brooks, Brooks excuse me, and the Gwendolyn Brooks short story is a newly married young woman. So she's a, a, a new wife. She's trying to figure out her role in that, what that looks like. There's another story by Paul Marshall where the woman is recently divorced and she's like separating and trying to figure out who she is. So I was trying to like look again at this like thin line between being a young girl and then becoming a woman, but also how girlhood just always sits in us. Like, you know, I'm in my late thirties and I still feel really exuberant and silly. And I love to be like playful. You know, sometimes my mom is looking at me with my son. She just is like, you guys are on the same energy. You're bouncing off the wall with him. Cause I'm like, I still feel like a young girl at heart. Like I like to like have fun. I love to like play music really loudly and dance around my room, you know? And that might not seem adult, but it's, it's the young girl in me and how I connect with my inner child. So we always have that inner child and the things that speak to us when we're young people that really shape who we become as adults. And, and throughout each story, I was looking for that, like that one moment that's like, okay, this, the reader will be transported to their own childhood and they'll have a moment to think, wow, like I had a similar experience with my sister or with my mother, or even with my, in my own adolescence, um, there's just so much. Another favorite short story. I'm sorry if I'm like going on and on, but like I, oh, I love, please. I love the fact that you, you know, you guys read and enjoyed the collection. There's the story with Dana Johnson, Melvin in the sixth grade. Oh my gosh! Like, hello, I was that oh, awkward wow. girl in the sixth grade. Yeah, it's so cute. You're just like, what is happening? Like, and even how she writes it. I'm like, I know she's a grown ass woman and she's like, she like sounds like a sixth grader. That's like, like she totally captured the feeling of what it feels like to be like a, a young person trying to figure that out. Like, can, I mean, serious question. Do y'all remember what it was like to be in the sixth grade? Like to be like. Uh, you know, I, I, I will say. I still know. Yeah, I, I will say that uh, even just reading her short story i it all started to come flooding back and i was like no nah. you know it's just like <laughs> i was like i'm cool i'm cool you know what i'm saying like, i wanted as much as i wanted to keep reading i was also like trying to keep my own memories like damned up you know i didn't want them flooding back or anything. right right you're just like but it's such an important time you know middle yeah. school like you know like all these like goofy things like your first like kiss or like or, or first or just trying to dress yourself like you know I'm I'm a 90s girl and like I stayed in some cross colors I loved crisscross I was wearing the backwards <laughs> like like what <laughs> you know what I mean those were like really and I put so much effort into those things as a, like I like that wasn't a serious thing for me and so I I like to especially and maybe it's like I had my mom hood like my mama hat on like I don't want to um, make my son's experiences feel small just because he's like a, like a young person. Like I want him to feel that like he has agency and he can do, all, he can experiment with things. And like, you know, if he wants to dye his hair green, like Frank Ocean, I'm like, all right, let's go. You know, like I want to give him <laughs> that freedom to try things out because that's how you figure out who, like who you want to be. Um, and to take it back to like my book on girlhood, that's what I was like looking for in each story, like these little moments of just like, um, you know, trying to find yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was going to say that um, one of the things that I noticed between stories was between uh, recitative, the Toni Morrison. Uh, yes. Exactly, yeah, recitative. 
and then Fifth Sunday, uh, they had both used an expression that I have never like seen in language before, but obviously have experienced, which was this feeling of like uh, sweat behind the knees. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was so surprised not only to see it once, but to see it twice. And I really think, you know, that was like maybe uh, uh, intentional or not. I really appreciated uh, those two stories being put together the way that you did. Um, because it kind of shows like this relationship to the unknown, right? Everything is so new, as you were saying, um, yes. as you're growing up. And so I was wondering in your own experience, what was the time when you were like sweating behind the knees, right? Like what, what was the time that you were in a completely new situation, had no clue what was going on and were like transformed by the experience? Oh, that's such a good question. I think like I was really anxious and, um, not sure about like how well, like how to enter college like that was when I was a senior in high school it was such a stressful time taking the SATs the you know just doing all the college applications and I definitely I really wanted to go to a school that um represented me but also would be affordable you know like I was just like that stress like again I, my family comes from like really humble hard-working like middle class background even I would even say like lower middle class like you know and um I was just like so anxious about that like getting a scholarship and I luckily I was able to get like funds for college and all those things but before it was happening before I got like that like acceptance letter I definitely was sweating behind the knees because I just knew it was such a pivotal moment, like not only for myself, but for my family, like being like, you know, this, you know, and I'm not the first person to go to college. Both my, my dad attended Howard and my mom went to university in Nigeria, but it was just like, it still had this momentous kind of feeling of like, okay, like I'm, I'm the generation doing it here. Like my parents moved here for like a, my better education. And so I had that kind of feeling to the point where like, I was really anxious. Like I got an ulcer. <laughs> like I was like, you know, like 17 in high school trying to take all like my board exams and do all these things and making myself sick because I just wanted everything to go well. And um, there were definitely other moments where I just was like, okay, like, I'm taking on so much responsibility for my family, like thinking about like how like our family name is going to like be out in the world, you know, and my parents had to, you know, tell me to take a step back. And so like, it's like, it's going to be okay. Even if you don't get to the, into the school that you, that you really want to, like, you're still going to have favor. You're still going to have rewarding experiences. And it's not just about the name of the school. It's about like, the experience you have there, like have a wonderful time in college. And, you know, I went to Howard, so it all worked out. <laughs> but at the time, I didn't feel that way. I was like, I really wanted to be like in step with my dad's legacy and like, you know, follow after him. My dad graduated with an architecture degree from Howard University. And I was like, I want to be in the legacy. I want to follow after you, you know, and I, like, I did do that. But I was nervous when I was taking, <laughs> I definitely was sweating behind the ears, behind the nose, like everything, <laughs> because I was like really anxious. Um, but again, it's like, you know, when you're 18 and find the college, let's check your whole world. It feels like the end. And if anyone's listening, applying to colleges right now, take a gap year. It's going to be okay. Take your time, like take a deep breath, whatever decision you move towards, it's going to be the good one because you made the decision and you shouldn't give yourself an altar like I did <laughs> when I was 17. <laughs> wow. No, I mean, you're speaking, speaking on so many levels, uh, Glory. And I just got to think, think through some of what you're saying. You, you brought up how, you know, when you're with your son, you feel like you're re reliving some of those traits of, of girl, of girlhood. And it made, it made me think of this Alice Walker quote, where she talks about how womanism is to feminism, what lavender is to pur purple. And I want you to kind of like des describe some of the nuances between girl girlhood and and womanhood, and like what you feel that transition really is, because it's not you know a linear one one time thing, one time initiation. It's you know, 
it's just not not that there's really no metaphor to say what this coming of age is it, it's so hard to wrap my my head around so I just want to see if you can. yeah I mean I'm, I feel like I'm still discovering it and the yeah. putting the collections together and building the anthology allowed me to take a step back and like define girlhood for myself and for me it became this this feeling I tend to be a very intuitive person and it's, it's a feeling of being secure in who you are feeling comfortable in your body being able to articulate when things, um, when lines are crossed or you feel like violated, you know, and there is a space of just naming who you are in a public space. That's like that, that like that shift. It's because there's, because there's also, um, there's these like, there's like these generational milestones that happen, you know, you have, like going to prom or like having your, you know, your first kiss or like, or, you know, uh, getting your first job. Like these are these kind of like experiences that kind of set, it's almost like a checklist of like this happened. And so I'm going into the next transition of my life. Like I graduated, I'm going to college, like check, like I did this thing, but you can still do those things and still not feel secure in who you are. And I think it's like, it's taking the step back of like writing down your desires, being again, that comfortability in your body, being able to like advocate for yourself is what transitions you to womanhood and what transitions you into adulthood. When you can really speak um, about yourself in a loving manner, you can be proud of your achievements. You can also be proud of your failures, you know? like at being able to be like self-reflective and self-compassionate, those are the things that really, the emotional shifts into adulthood and from into womanhood. They're not only just about the things that you do because there were a lot of things that I did. Like I graduated, I like, I got a job, I was successful, I got the accolades and those things sustained me in one area of my life, but then I was like lacking in emotional areas and I felt insecure in other areas. And I think like, bringing those things together in a, a fair way and being balanced is so crucial as you enter adulthood, as you enter womanhood, especially when as women, especially as black women, when there's so many like flat stereotypes that can be damaging, that could really um, limit your growth and your like your aspirations. Cause it's like, Oh no, you can't do that. Like for whatever reason, you know, like these like just narrow, this, these very negative depictions and you have to fight against that. Um, but when you're able to do that, and you can't do these things in isolation either, like you have to do it in community. Like I definitely recommend being in therapy, being in sisterhoods, being in book clubs and talking to other women all the time and talking to other peers that love and support you, other allies, like being in safe spaces. Like it's not enough to just read the book alone. You should be able to talk to other people about it and get support. Um, and it took, it took me a while to like figure out that rhythm and understand, um, you know, when things felt uncomfortable or I felt uncertain about it, like actually admitting that like, okay, maybe I accepted this job that I was so excited about and I don't like it anymore and I can walk away from it and it's okay. Even if those at a fortune 500 company or whatever fancy thing that feels like so like you know, prestigious for whatever the case, I can, I can still make a decision to walk away from that and be confident in my decision and not, you know, be dependent on external validation. So all these examples I'm giving, I think there's just like this shift and most of the shifting happens internally where you feel comfortable and you feel confident and you're not relying on other people to validate you. Does that answer your question? <laughs> no, totally. Okay. No. Hmm. we're having a deep sunday over here I know. yeah always <laughs> yeah we can't help it <laughs> i wasn't expecting all this but yes um you know those are the things that i'm like looking for and isn't it crazy that like books can do that to you i mean i guess that's why they like books have the bible <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> like it's a book <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like but there's just like so many 
you know, really deep and like moving transformational things that you can get from books, from literature, from writers, you know? Yeah, I was, um, I was looking back at the Black Wom Wom Woman Anthology uh, by Tony Cade, Bam, 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 Bara, and I realized that you all share a short, a short story in common, Rina by Paul Marshall. And yes. I was curious as to what, what you saw as like the intergenerational link. You are such a good reader. No one's asking that question. It was, it, I put that story in on purpose because my it, was a nod to the, it was a nod to the anthology. Yeah, my no God. <laughs> like literally no one has said that. Like it, I put that story intentional in the anthology as a nod Tony K. Mavara. Like it was just kind of like the OG, like you were the one who started this, like yeah. this thing. Cause she is like the ultimate cultural worker, like yeah. person of like radical activist. It, it, I mean, she lived in the lineage of Maya Angela because she did all the things. Like she did all of the things. And she was so accessible in a way like she talks to people directly and it wasn't like she was in this ivory tower of the academy where she just was like sharing the knowledge like no like you could like go knock on her door and ask her for like some sugar you know what yeah. i mean and like <laughs> that kind of energy is like i want to be near people i want to be able to like hug them and hold their hands and talk to them through their experiences like i don't want to this ever to be like this very didactic thing where i'm like talking down or being you know overly academic or condescending in any way. Um, I just really want to be like on a like grassroots level with folks. Um, and so the reason I put that story in there was like this, I mean, maybe quiet is kept, like, I feel like it just was like, I thought no one would, I, I didn't know anyone would notice. I didn't think any, like, I was like, this is just for me, my own kind of like mm -hmm. loving shout outs to her work and how mm -hmm. it's influenced me. So yeah, it was as simple as that. I'm like, this story was in this anthology and I want it to be in mine as well because I want to pay tribute to Tony K. Bambara. Wow, that's that's awesome. That's really special. Not no, you're awesome for reading it and saying it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's so great. That's so great. No, um, yeah, Bell, Bell Hooks has this uh, really great story about Tony K. Bambara where... Um, you know, one, you know, she was a young, a young child. And when the anthology first came out, she was so blown away because she was like, finally, folks are, I know that other Black woman, woman, women are thinking about the same issues that I'm really worried about. And then how her relationship to her through, through the book changed into a real life friendship with, with Tony, with, with Tony Cade and how she would be spending hours in her house, just like, talking and so i'm i'm curious for your own books now like how have they how have you felt they have been re received too by the other young like bell bell hooks like how are they oh man oh my gosh well yesterday when i did my event um the, i went to the bookstore and they had my books on the shelf and the one of the labels right underneath of my books it was like black modern feminism and i was like what <laughs> Like that's that's what I'm like that's the book section of it. Like it just like it was so wild to me. Like it's been, uh, I will say 100%. I'm definitely driven by voice. And so my first anthology like captures the voice of the writers and their essays are telling their like lived experiences. They're very intimate essays. And in this second anthology, I'm looking at the shape of story. I'm looking at the voice of the characters, you know, I'm again, because of the short story, it's very precise. And when I read, I'm, I'm like, I'm always listening for like the inner dialogue that people are having with themselves. I love the voice when I'm, when I'm like reading and just like speaks to me in a really visceral way. Um, so I hope that, you know, part of my legacy is like the stories and the books that I write that I select for the book club have powerful voices and people will be inspired to do that same work of telling their own story that it will like come from deep within them and it doesn't have to be perfect it could just be true and it just comes out you know I'm just hope that like the work that I'm doing is encouraging others to like share their stories and just be really honest and I can be 
really candid in saying that like all the work that I'm encouraging and I'm trying to be generous, I'm also doing that same work in myself. Like by any means, I'm not like, I don't got this down packed. Yeah, like I feel like I'm still learning and trying to like how to be a better writer, how to be a better editor, a better friend, you know, how to be a better community activist, like all these things I'm learning in real time. And I don't have any problem like seeing, telling that to folks because I don't want people to think that like, I got this down. Like it's been, this is like a lifestyle for me. Like I'm constantly just trying to learn and grow and be like, um, be a better person, you know? And I think that like, as I continue writing and start continue building the platform, I just try to meditate and think about this as an act of service and part of my purpose to help others. Um, and when I think of it that way, like I, I can't be steered in the in the wrong direction because like services means like giving of yourself, you know. Um, so yeah, but it's like and I, you know, and not being like um, not being like too attached to like my ego either. Like I'm actually like I'm. I'm in therapy, like most most people, but like one thing that like my therapist has been trying to encourage me to do is just like, she's like, you got to celebrate sometimes. Like, it's good to be humble, but you also have to like acknowledge your things. And she's like, you're just like not acknowledging that I keep going. (laughs) So like even doing that, like taking a moment to like give thanks, but also like give myself a pat on the back is like a practice too, because I'm just like, oh, like, isn't this what I'm supposed to be doing? Just like, keep going, keep going. And she's like, no, like you gotta sit, like sit still. be present. We were talking about this earlier. Like you also be present in all the things that you're working on and that you're investing in, you know? And like, you gotta give time for it to grow and to like all these things. So it's, I just hope anyone that's experiencing um, my work or even when they meet me, like, like I just wanna be, like, I wouldn't be good for them, you know? And most times when I'm out, like, in public, you know, there there haven't been, like, too many times I was, like, I'm having, like, a really bad day, like, someone approaches me. Like, I'm just always so honored. I'm like, oh, like, you know who I am? Like, that's awesome. Like, thank you. So I want to be able to, like, say thank you to, you know, thank them for, like, reading my books, like, get have an opportunity to sign it. I had a beautiful young woman yesterday was asking me about just, like, workshops and, like, how did how she gets into nonfiction? And I'm like, okay, like these are the things that I did, but you can also read this book or like Google this thing. I just put that in practice. Like that's what how I have to. Um, it feels good to me, but it also just like allows me to not be like take myself too seriously because it's like, all right, we're all we're all trying to figure this out, you know? Like we're all trying to figure out how to do like good work and. And my space happens to be literature and writing. Yeah, this 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 book though is just so incredible. Really, like so much to, to say about it. Jen and, and I literally three hours ago were just kind of rapping about um how how this has changed, how how we've loved our short, short stories. So Oh, I appreciate that. Like I was really trying to do something different compared to the first anthology mm-hmm. and like for me it was an experiment with form it was thinking it was trying to really get like really laser focused on the subject of girlhood and what that means for so many young black women you know especially when um, a lot of times we're not able to have our own coming of age stories we're not able to sit in our adolescence and be childlike and so I really was like okay you know what how do we look at that through the lens of fiction and originally I had like an insane list of books like that. This anthology could have been one of those Norton readers, with like 600 stories, you know, a whole like compendium of things. And I had to kind of take a step back and like narrow it down and really be selective. And that process of thinking like less is more helped like shape the um, just the entire collection and just how I was like being really thoughtful which, with each character and each writer. So it was it was definitely a different way of editing and way of thinking of language and character, but I'm glad I did it. It was it was a stretch for me in a good way. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah, no, we we were saying too, like this is our first time reading any short stories ever. So oh, really? I think being, what? what it mean? is for me. It's definitely oh. true for me. Oh wow! Yeah, because especially especially this is the way that I look at like books too, right? Is that in a lot of cases, I don't count anything that was like school assigned as like something I've actually read 
probably mm. because I didn't read it, but also because I think it's different. It's a totally different process when you're like self-selecting to like read something. And this was completely right. outside of like just the form of short stories is something that I had never really um, exposed myself to, but I'm so grateful that you did because like, I'm just blown away. Like every story, every story got me in a different way. You know and I, and I love how, how they can say so much in so few words and pages, just like what you're saying with less is more. Um, but then, but then to also like see all those connections and like, be like, Oh, I see what glory did there. Like put in this one right after that one, or you got the, the lesson coming after who we are and stuff. I was like, yes. you, know, you know, like <laughs> I was trying, I love, I was trying I to, details. you know, it's little Easter eggs in it. And it's, yes. it's really like the reason I love short story is because there's a part of me, even when I really like read really long developed novels, I always kind of. Oh, this is like so embarrassing to admit out loud, but I skip uh, around in books. I totally really? like, yeah, I'll be like, okay, what is going on? I'll like, I'll still go back to the beginning, but I skip around a lot. And sometimes I even go backwards. Like I'll sometimes like read the end and try to figure it out like in reverse, which is such a chaotic way to read. But that is like my truth. I just like, if I'm not understanding something, I need to go down a rabbit hole and like go online or go through Wikipedia or read the end. Or like, I do that all the time. I love footnotes too, but you can't do that with a short story. Like you really have to be present and pay attention. Cause what it's like two or three pages long. Maybe it's like 10 pages if it's like really involved, but you have to really like pay attention sentence by sentence because every word, every sentence like means something and communicates something you can't skip ahead. And so that for me is just like a really precious experience. And I have a tinge of just like nonlinear, you know, slightly ADD, you know, so that likes me, like makes me want to do a lot at once. And, um, the short story kind of gets like pulls my attention and makes me focus on what's happening. Um, like out the Alice Walker short story, everyday use. That's yeah. like, yeah, that was, that's it. Alice yeah, Walker can do no wrong. That's probably like, the first <laughs> short story I ever like really read and understood. I was like, yo, these characters, she sounded like my mama. The, the first sister sounded like me when I first went off to college, a little bougie. And then the sister that stayed home. That's probably who I am right now. I'm like, let me stay home. Let me be still, <laughs> you know? So it's like, all these different characters I saw a reflection of like myself and my life and in, in them. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, you, you're saying it's embarrassing to admit that you skip around in books, but like, do we not do, do, do that in everyday life? Like think about the past day, day dream about oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> if, if we were always completely present, we wouldn't really be human. We would be dogs or squirrels. Like, honestly, like, Imagine being able to think only about the present, like it's impossible. Like as 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 much as you know, the spirit, spirit, spiritual leaders, Eckhart Tolle say, say to be present, all this, it's like it's not really uh achievable human state, I would say. So I agree with that, Miles. I also think it is that's why people say like practicing mindfulness, like being yeah. present, like it is a continuous practice and a lifestyle. It isn't something you do once and you have to be so intentional about it. Like especially now when we are inundated with social media, with like these almost like microwavable lessons that people want to like regurgitate and get in like <laughs> one minute. And so I try to even think about the work that I'm doing, not to get all like biblical, but like as a seed, you know, like I'm planting something in the ground. I'm like, you know, faith is of, of, of a mustard seed. Like I'm planting it and I have to wait for the right season. Like it's not going to be immediate all the times. And trust me, that is so hard. Like mm. it is so hard as a, as a writer, like writing a book is like planting a seed. It takes a long time for a book to be written and then published and then out in the world. And sometimes I want it to be quicker and I want like, I want to know what everybody thinks, but that's not how it works. Like you got to go through your editor, you got to go through revisions, copy edits, all this stuff that happens before it actually hits a bookstore or it's on a library shelf and trying to use that metaphor for my real life is, has been really helpful to be like, okay, I'm planting this idea. I'm planting this, um, Whatever, whatever I want to manifest in my life. And I got now I have to wait. Like I'm doing the work and now I have to wait for it to grow. 
And that's been really, uh, it's challenging at times because I like to do all the things, but it's, it's allowed for like real growth because I can be patient with myself and practice being present because it is not my natural state at all, at all. <laughs> wow. That is so real. Yeah, no, we're definitely in the process of learning that, that this idea of planting seeds and, you know, for one thing, like you just reminded me of our mom because she is the ultimate like seed planter. I mean, real, real ballers read. Like she used to tell us that all the time, constantly throwing the seeds in the soil, you know, just like planting them. And it wasn't until years later that we were like, wait a second, real ballers do read. Like, let's go for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Gloria, it's, it's really incredible to hear you saying all of this. And it makes me super, super, super excited for your upcoming book, Gather Me, um, just because that's such a like, I mean, that, that, that's a whole phrase right there, gather me, right? And I think just everything that you've been describing about your continual process of learning and discovery and connection and service is just uh, incredibly inspiring. Um, but, you know, I, I am curious on the point of voice, you know, of potentially a more challenging time or a challenging moment uh, when you might have lost your voice. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, like if that's happened at all, like how did it come about? How did you reconnect with your voice? Um, I'm just really curious because, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people, especially reading on girlhood can relate to is just, you know, not being so sure of like who your actual voice is and, you know, knowing how to advocate for yourself. So I was wondering if you could, you know, share a little bit more from your experience of like, you know, really really focusing in on your voice and like sticking to it? Yeah, I think if, um, if anything, over the years, my voice has changed. And um, there was, I, I'll go back to like motherhood again, <laughs> because I, I recently, my son's two now. And like, right before I had him, I just, I was having this moment of um, insecurity, like feeling uncertain of what my own motherhood journey would be like. And I think I wouldn't say like, I lost my voice, but I got really quiet. Like I was trying to figure out like, you know, like how I was supposed to, because Well Red Black Girl is like such a large platform and there's mothers, it's very intergenerational. And there's so many um, mothers online that like I was like looking towards as like examples or different models. For example, I really love Amani Perry and she is um, the author of so many imp- incredible books, including a book called Breathe, which is, um, it's Breathe, the letters to my sons. And that was for me, that's the moment I got quiet. I was like reading her book and I was trying to like understand how she raised her two sons and what I could do to be my own version of Imani, you know, like, I just was like, I want to, you know, raise sons that are, I want to raise my son in a way that is thoughtful and full of integrity and like all these things. And I think I almost like overwhelmed myself. Like I was just like, I was just so like, my, you know, my son was not even out in the world. He was just like in my womb. And I just was like, Lord, like, how do I do this? And I think like taking a step back and say like, yes, these are beautiful examples and I can like pull from them, but I can be my own example too. Like I don't have to like emulate everything. I can just use them as models, as inspiration, as encouragement, but I don't have to like be exactly like that person that I love and I admire. And I think that can happen when you're writing too, because there's so many you know, different writers that you admire and that you want to like their writing style, how they craft a story, how they build the plot, that you can get caught up in, in like so immersed in their work that you start to lose your own voice. So it's like far, lose your own way. And it has to be a balance of like, all right, I'm going to create my own story. I'm going to be true to myself. And I'm going to use these things as inspiration, not let them like overwhelm me. And so for me, like as I was entering motherhood, I was just like, I was really anxious about it because I was like, and anxiety to get the bad rap. The anxiety means you really care about something, you know? It means you want to do well. It means That's you want to show up, you know? So you can use anxiety in a healthy way to meet the deadline, to do the next thing, to grow, to learn. Uh, you just can't let it like overwhelm you to, to the point that you're like paralyzed. So uh, I was trying to like 
balance my anxiety about motherhood and how to be like a good mom, you know? And so I'm finding my way. I definitely still, I definitely still got a lot to learn. I should probably talk to your mom. <laughs> it's not like, it's, you know, like, like or I'm, I'm still learning a lot. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so, um, but it's an exciting journey. And I'm, and I'm like, and I also feel like God bless me with like my perfect version. Like when I play with my son, I like, when I interact with him, I'm like, oh, you are my kid. Look how he responds to me, how he like does things. I'm like, you are definitely, we think in the same, you know? <laughs> and so I, um, I get a kick out of that. I think that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Thank you. Yeah, you are, you are so incredibly real and humble. And I would say that's, that's rare given like how involved with soul, soul to media you, you, you are, you know, and I, I would be curious, like how you balance those two or, or how you've like allowed your, yourself to not get too caught up in, you know, everything going on online. I, I feel like, you know, you know what? I think that's a generational thing. Cause I'm definitely yeah. like, I feel like yeah. I'm like half analog, half digital. And mm-hmm. I don't, A, I never say anything on social media that I wouldn't say in person. That's like my golden rule. If I put it on anything on the internet, you could come up to me in real life and say the same thing and we would have no problem. You know, that's what's like, that's just like the, the basic rule. If I say it on the internet, I should be able to say it in real life and like in your face. You know what I mean? So that's helps. And then the second thing is, I just don't take it too seriously. You know what I mean? Like, I actually think it's kind of wild that we have like, like social media is now news. Like we are like citing sources and like, like breaking news is like on Twitter and all these platforms where that would have never happened like 10 years ago. Like, like, could you imagine like us learning about like 9-11 through like Twitter or something like that? You know what I mean? Like that just like, wasn't like a thing, you know? But now it's like, it's shifted the culture and how we take in news, how stuff like, like how we fact check like all these things. And so I think I still have to like wrap around my mind around things too. Um, and so I have a younger brother that's like 13 years apart from me and like how he uses social media is completely different. So we always like have conversations about just like, like, you know, the archive and citing things and like, how do we know something is true? Like, how do we verify this? Like, he'll tell me something. And I'm just like, are you sure? You know, like, let's find some more resources before we like put that out into the world and say it's true. So I think I have a, a healthy sense of like skepticism when it comes to social media. It's like, I'm just like, that, that might be real. That might not be like, I don't put so much weight into it. Um, but I do understand for like the next generation, it's a to- they interact with it in a totally different way. And it feels, it almost feels like, um, man, I just, I don't, I don't want to say be dramatic and say like life and death or death, but it just feels, it feels like a heavier, much real presence and like most folks day to day, because I mean, now my son, he like, he knows how to use the iPad and he's doing stuff that I'm just like, let me look, let me figure out how you just did. Like, how did you just change the whole TV in like two seconds? Like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? So I'm taking that into consideration, especially as we have like young women and young men, like it, like it influences like their body image. It influences like their, their mental health, their wellness, because things could seem um, not attainable because everything seems so perfect online and really like vulnerability and like being able to like fuck some stuff up is like when you get good at stuff, like being able to be like, be messy. Like I, I was just so weird as a kid. Like I did so much weird stuff. And like if all that weird stuff just like lived on the internet for me to reference, that might, that yeah, that can definitely fuck you up in a weird way. Like, I don't know. So it's just trying to like, um, manage that and I also like to think I guess it's like my last social media thing that I feel like it's a healthy thing I like to think of social media as like my vision board too like I'm okay with like and I'm really not on Twitter like that like I really just like retweet and like bookmark stuff um but I just like to like I think about it aesthetically like this is really pretty like let's put it up and like this looks, this looks like a nice way to engage or something this is aspirational and that feels like a good way to interact and it doesn't allow me to get um, 
take myself too seriously or get caught up in just like the drama of stuff, you know? I mean, when, gosh, this is like, let me tell myself when well-read that girl first started. And if someone's had like a negative review or they said something that like, I didn't understand, I would DM them and be like, can I have, can we talk on the phone? <laughs> I used to do that all the time. I'd um, be like, I don't understand what you're saying. Can we, can I call you real quick? <laughs> it's super real. <laughs> That's I awesome. I do that. Yeah. Like, like strangers on the internet because I would be like what are you trying to say like I couldn't understand the nuance of it and I'm like I feel like it was a conversation like we would get each other but because you're tweeting me and I don't understand so like so that's why that's probably why I don't tweet as much it's more because I'm just like I like I don't understand all the time I'm just like maybe we should talk this out and you can't do that for like 70,000 followers I can't just like dm everyone when I need some clarification so <laughs> yeah like that's that's just like how i interact with it i'm just like this is you know it's the internet like we had live journals i remember when you had to do your facebook and you had just you could only use your edu email you couldn't even use like a, a normal email you had to be in college like i still think about it you know, i'm gonna even date myself further i remember instant messenger I'm thinking about Twitter like it's, it's the messenger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like, wow. we just chatting. Like, this should be that serious. <laughs> but, you know, that's, oh, how that's, I, a, that's how I like to think about it. That's a super deep point, though, because it's like about how important the generational impact is. Because I'm I, I thinking of like even an example of like a child being lost in a grocery store, right? When a child is lost in a grocery store, it feels like a much longer period of time because they're a, a kid and it can be a lot more traumatizing than if you get lost in a grocery store when you're, you're 40. And if you swap out that metaphor for the inter- internet, like like when kids are growing up in it, they, they do, I, just as you're saying, have this like life or death, like heaviness, to it because their point of view of the world is being completely, completely warped. Yes. So, and that's why it's like still so important to have like real life experiences. I mean, that's quite honestly, that's why I decided to do the first book in 2018. Cause I was like, if my Instagram boom, blah, 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 like disappears, like I will have no body of work. Like if I suddenly have no more Instagram, like I would no longer have anything to like really show about how I've developed this community. If it is a book, it is a physical thing that will last forever. It will be on someone's bookshelf. It will sit in there. Like they'll be able to turn the pages, read it. Like that, that's why it became so urgent for me to do the book because I was like, I need this to live in a, in a space outside of the digital space. And that's why it was became important to do the festival. So we could like sit together and talk about these things and not just like live in a like one dimensional world. I mean, granted, there's like, there's a lot of positive things you can say about the internet too. You know, just as like, it has like this like, these channels and chain connotations of connectivity and just like there's also this amazing way that like I can be in a global space I can be talking to someone who lives in the UK at the same time they can join my book club or someone in South Africa like all these things are possible because of the massness of the internet I think what the second level for this new generation for like my son and like just the I mean just thinking about like policies and we, we, we mean we could go deep but like there needs to be just like when you're in school and you're like in AP history and you're learning about like civic engagement and how like the capital runs and all these things, there needs to be another lesson plan for like digital literacy and, and having like true like critical analysis and learning how to like ask questions and analyze text. Like we can say diverse books all day long, but if you don't understand how to analyze and put like historical context to things and, you know, you talk to young people now and like, like slavery was a long, long time ago. The Civil War is like a long, long time ago. It's like, no, like we're still like facing the repercussions of all these actions, like present day. Like we can point to things that are happening present day because of things that happened a quote unquote long, long time ago, right? So like when we're putting these books in front of them and we're saying like, read this, it's like, okay, like how do you make it relevant to what is happening in today? Like, how do you talk about the banned books? Like, how do you actually add like a layer of sophistication so kids can ask questions. And um, there's this great article that I feel like it's gonna be like my reference point. Um, Ibram Kendi talks about like the, like the advancing of racism, just like, like how, you know, because of technology and all these things, like 
racism is advancing too because you know it's like all these things we're all it's not like this one moment where everything's gonna get better in the world or like kind of like kumbaya as much as we want that you know like technology has advanced all these different things in a really profound way and we need to keep up and we need to be able to teach young people to combat that in a, in a healthy manner so they have strong self-esteem but they also understand the world around them in a profound way which is a that's like a big responsibility. I don't know if Al Gore was thinking that when he <laughs> created the internet. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> but now we got Elon Musk and all these like, ah, like I don't even know. I don't want to go to complete tangent, but like, this is what I lose sleep over. Because I'm just like, wow, we really need to teach like civic engagement with the internet. Like, uh-huh. that's a thing that needs to be addressed. Like, that should be like, on lesson plans. Like, that's what we, we should be talking about. Because we see how it like we see it, like we see how it's influencing society and changing society. Like we saw it in the, the election with the man 45, who shall go unnamed. Like we saw, like that was like digital literacy at its finest. Like if people knew like how to use the internet and fact check things and everything like that, would we have had a President Trump? I don't know. Kind of, I guess as a way to wrap up our, our podcast, I was thinking of how you wrapped up your book with uh, Zora's uh, how, to, how It Feels to Be a Color in Me. And there was one part of this essay that I thought was really deep and inter- interesting that I'll just quote and ask you the question about is she's uh, writing and she says, the cosmic Zora emerges. I, I belong to no race nor time. I am the eternal fem- feminine with its string of beads. So I wanted to ask you, like, how do you see the cosmic glory? Like, what is that conception? That is such a good question. I feel like if, to go back to AOL names, if I had a a aim to, like, name, or I could change my Twitter name, I would put cosmic glory. That's amazing. I think that, like, I love this idea of being far reaching and to have like, to even be a little delusional with your dreams and your aspirations and the things that you want to go after. And as Zora Neale Hurston just embodies that energy of, especially when you think about the time that she grew up in, the, the challenges that were upon black women, you know, she defied all of those notions of who she was. And that story, that essay is so important to me because it's so um, unconventional, it's unexpected. And it's a woman that is continuously betting on herself and wanting to go to win, to win at life, to win at, at um, at all costs, no matter what the obstacle is. And I love that energy. Like I admire it so deeply. I don't know if I always have it in me, but I aspire towards it and I try to move towards that. And I think as we talked about earlier, it is always a practice. It's always a practice of trying to become a better version of yourself, to be cosmic in your creativity and your like your goals and hopes for life like you should strive for better and it shouldn't always be easy I mean how many how many times is like when you when something's easy is it like even really good you know what I mean like when things come too simply if they just like come to you like handed to you I don't know would we have the same appreciation for it really like would we really sit with it would we understand like the magnitude of it but it's when like you've sacrificed when it takes a long time when you've had to work really hard like the joy of that thing yeah like like you're about to graduate uh next friday like i'm sure you had plenty of hard times where it was like challenging to like take that test do that dissertation do whatever it was but then when you got it uh like it's out of this world you know so i i um I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with the hard work. I'm okay with the failures, the rejections, because when I, when I win, like it's on, (laughs) like, it's like, it's such a, like a wonderful feeling, you know, like even with, I, you know, I recently started a podcast too. Yeah. 
I didn't know what I was expecting. I didn't know what was going to happen. But once it, once it started happening, I was like, oh, yes, like, this is what like I wanted. And it, and it wasn't an easy process at all because it, I actually started it two years before the pandemic, like it was like a whole thing. Like I was trying to get, you know, things like situated. Then the pandemic happened. I was expecting a baby, like all these unexpected challenges came, like came up. Um, but then when it came out this year, I was just like, oh my God, like the weight, like this feels like so right. Like it, like I'm working with the right people. And I like, I'm, I have like the most perfect guests on it. You know, like I didn't know when I first started doing the experience, I didn't know that Viola Davis had a memoir coming out. And I would be able to talk to her and like, I would read her book and then interview her. Had I done it two years ago, that wouldn't have been the opportunity, right? So it's just like looking at the challenges and looking at the things that seem hard at the time, getting through it to get on the other side because the other side is so good, you know? And that's what I would tell Cosmic Glory. I would tell Little Glory that to like keep going, to stay, to just remain consistent. Um, to show up for herself, to show up for other people, and to, you know, be honest, you know, like, be honest about, like, what you're experiencing and how you're feeling, because it doesn't serve you to lie to other people or to lie to yourself, because we talk about lying to other people, but, like, folks will lie to themselves all the time, and, like, know deep down that that's not what they want to do, that's not how they feel, like, it still counts, like, when you're, when you're lying to yourself, like, you don't want to do that either. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Ballers Read podcast. If you like the show, please be sure to leave a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us from. And also check out Glory's social media at Girl on Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.